Around here, secrets are nigh. This is Legendary Adventures Podcast. This week in Link's Awakening, we're doing some trading, meeting the frog for whom the bell tolls, and unlocking Key Cavern. With the power bracelet we acquired from Bottle Grotto, a large portion of Koholint Island is now open to us. A mysterious voice directed us to the prairie. That would be Akuku Prairie, which is east of Mape Village. Before we head that way, though, there's a few things to take care of. First, we can now access the shop to the north of the witch's hut. This shop is run by Crazy Tracy. She sells a special medicine that can revive Link if he runs out of hearts. The medicine costs 42 rupees. Or is that 28 rupees? I never actually noticed this before making this podcast, but Tracy's price varies seemingly at random. Players can have only one treatment of medicine in their inventory at a time. Before players can truly advance in the game, they will have to return Bow Wow to Madame Meow Meow. But it's worth taking some time to explore new areas with Bow Wow. It can indicate where secret seashells are buried in the ground. And with added seashells in the Switch remake, this is especially helpful. You'll of course want to buy a shovel at the shop in Maid Village to get those shells. The shovel's expensive, but it's required to advance, and with the rupees found in Bottle Grottle, you should have enough or at least be close to it. You'll also want to pick up some bombs from the shop. They're much cheaper, and they're also required. Players can also discover at least one secret character interaction with Bow Wow and Toe. They don't know what beef there is between the Chain Chomp and Kiki the Monkey, but the reaction is fun. After exploring, it's time to head back to Mave Village. When Link returns to Madame Meow Meow, she'll reward him with a smooch. Let's put those bombs we collected to use. You may remember we had to leave a secret seashell behind in Tail Cave. It's located behind a bombable wall in a room right between the eyes of the Moldorm-shaped dungeon. To the north in the forest, we can round up a few additional secret treasures and bonuses. That includes an upgrade to Link's equipment. There's a rock just west of the fairy fountain that can be lifted to reveal a cave. <laughs> Inside, players will find a sort of shrine featuring a torch between two sculptures topped with skulls. Lighting the torches reveals the Mad Batter. Or is that little Devil? Players of A Link to the Past will remember this character. He curses Link for waking him, but the curse is always a good thing. The Player's Guide for A Link to the Past and Link's Awakening released in the 90s referred to this character as the Mad Batter. It actually went unnamed in either game. The Switch remake adds character names to the dialogue boxes, and the character is now called Lil Devil. Whether that's a more direct translation from the Japanese, I don't know. There are multiple locations where players can find the Mad Batter in Link's Awakening, and multiple curses to receive. The Mad Batter will tell the player the planned curse and allow them to accept it or reject it. While playing through the deluxe version, I chose to have my maximum bombs expanded, which will come in handy in the dungeon ahead. It's a very good curse indeed. When playing through the Switch remake, I forgot to come here before taking on Key Cavern, and it made for some added frustration in the dungeon. Now it's time to head to the prairie. Just east of Mabe Village, there's a flying Octorok and a set of stairs with a portal on top. This is a fast travel point. In the Game Boy versions, Link can activate them by falling into them. Link merely has to stand on or reveal the fast travel points in the Switch version. There are 10 fast travel locations in the Switch remake, with a single unified fast travel system. In the Game Boy version, there are 5 points split between 2 travel styles. 
To the south of the fast travel point is Key Cavern. It's a stone structure that's similar on the outside at least to Tell Cave, but it has statues of slime enemies rather than statues of Moldorms. This is the dungeon we're trying to reach, but as with the previous two dungeons, it's locked. To the south of Key Cavern is a lone house. It's occupied by Richard, a prince who was forced from his castle. Richard is a character from a Game Boy game that was never released outside of Japan, called The Frog for Whom the Bell Tolls. The house is filled with frogs in reference to this. According to a YouTube video by John Cartwright for Nintendo Life, the developers of Link's Awakening used a modified version of The Frog for Whom the Bell Tolls engine to build Link's Awakening, which is why the cameo was included. Cartwright also suggests this is why the side-scrolling segments were included in the game, which may be true but we can see that there was also past precedent in the Zelda series for including side-scrolling segments as well. Richard asks Link to go to his home at Canalette Castle to receive his golden leaves. He says he was forced to leave those treasures behind when his servants turned on him. He also tells Link he'll need a shovel. The castle is located to the north and east of Richard's home, just off the center of the world map. The front gates of the castle are closed. It'll require some monkey business to get in. Just east of the castle, Link finds Kiki the monkey, a returning character from A Link to the Past. We also ran into him while exploring with Bow Wow. Without Bow Wow, Kiki will ask for the bananas we got from Sale the Alligator in the first episode of this podcast. After getting the bananas, Kiki calls a whole group of monkeys which proceed to build a bridge, allowing Link to sneak into the castle through the back. monkey business completed, Kiki leaves a stick, which Link takes. The castle entrance is located under a bush. After descending a staircase and going through a side-scrolling area, Link will be inside the castle walls. The castle is a mini-dungeon of sorts. It's the first in the series, really, well, depending on how you feel about Death Mountain and Zelda 2. There are five leaves to collect around the castle. Two are located outside on the grounds, three are inside. The castle itself spans two floors, and the leaves can technically be collected in any order. Here's how I went about it. The first leaf was held by a bird and a tree on the castle grounds to the west. Players need to throw a rock to scare the bird and then quickly kill it to get the leaf. The other is held by a knight on the east side which moves between six holes in a vaguely star-shaped pattern on the ground. The knight emerges, throws a bomb, and then ducks back into the hole. Yeah, it's a Legend of Zelda version of Whack-A-Mole and it long predates the version of Vermin, which was released on The Legend of Zelda Game & Watch. The next three leaves are found inside the castle. It's worth noting that the castle has its own musical theme. It's a simple rising and falling arpeggio punctuated by bass notes. Let's get those last three leaves. The first is near the castle entrance and is acquired after clearing a room of enemies. Before heading up to the second floor, players will notice a floor switch. Stepping on it opens the gates of the castle, allowing for quick entrances and exits. The Game Boy version notes the opening of the gate only through text. The Switch version shows the gate opening, but it also keeps the now redundant text. The final two leaves are found on the second floor. One is found by bombing a pair of bas-relief sculptures of Darknuts, and then defeating the Darknuts that emerge from the wall. The last is held by a knight who wields a mace on chain. To access the room with the knight, players must throw a jar against a door to open it. This is only lightly hinted at in the Game Boy versions, 
The door is closed and there are jars in the room, there are no switches or enemies, and no other means to open the door. The Switch version makes it more clear by decorating the door with a jar design. After getting all five leaves, it's time to return to Richard to get the key to Key Cavern. While we're near Canalette Castle, it's not a bad idea to visit the Seashell Mansion. It's located just south of the castle. In the Game Boy version, it looks like a pair of living trees from A Link to the Past stuck together with a door in between. The Switch remake makes it a unique building with seashells embedded in the walls. There's also a fast travel point in the Switch remake. The mansion is the place where we trade in our secret seashells. I mentioned the seashells in our second episode of the season. If you need a refresher, the seashells are a game-spanning collectathon side quest. There are 26 shells to find in the original and deluxe versions of the games, 50 in the Switch remake. It's possible to visit the seashell mansion as soon as the power bracelet is obtained. Players will be given an additional seashell as a reward if they have collected exactly 5 or 10 shells. I had 10 shells when I visited. Once a player collects 20 shells, they will be given an upgraded sword. The quest was reworked in the Switch remake, with the prizes offered at 5, 15, 30, and 50 shells. The prizes include a heart piece, a sensor to help track seashells, and a chamber dungeon piece. 40 shells earns the upgraded sword. In the Game Boy version, once the sword is collected, the remaining shells disappear and are swapped out for rupees. In the Switch version, shells can be collected until all are found. These collectathon side quests will become a regular thing in future Zelda games. And just as with Link's Awakening, the biggest prize is generally given out before players obtain all of the collectible items. Returning to Richard, he thanks Link for getting all the leaves and tells him he can find the key by moving a box, or in the Switch remake, a sculpture, that he's standing in front of. Richard moves out of the way, and moving the box reveals a staircase. It leads to the pothole field. This is a maze of holes behind Richard's house. Players must slash away at bushes to reveal the holes that serve as the walls of the maze. At the end of the maze, there's an owl statue that says, In soil sleep secrets beneath your souls. This is the hint to redig where Link is standing to reveal the slime key. It's used to open Key Cavern. Players have to walk around the pothole field and use Rock's Feather to jump over some pools of water to reach the dungeon entrance. The music of Key Cavern is dramatic, and honestly, a little creepy. It begins with a big four-note sting. It's heavy on bass and features multiple instruments, and then it gives way to smaller, high pitches, repeating a two-note phrase. A second segment features a more developed melody, on higher notes. In the Switch version, this section and the two-note repeated phrase is played on piano. An arpeggio that grows and then diminishes in volume connects everything together. As the name suggests, Key Cavern is key-themed. There are eight small keys to find in the dungeon, in addition to the Nightmare Key. The dungeon split between two floors, each shaped like a skeleton key. The Switch version makes the separation between the two floors clear on the map. In the Game Boy version, the floors are displayed side by side at all times, while the Switch version clearly separates the floors on the subscreen. Most of the dungeon takes place on the first floor. Players tackle each floor more or less in two parts, with each part ending when players move to the bottom floor. Players start at the tip of the key, or the bit. To the east of the room is a black hole enemy like we saw in Bottle Grotto, but this one repels Link instead of pulling him in. Players will have to come back to this room later. To go further in the dungeon, Link must again lift and throw a jar against a door. The shaft or the body of the key is made up of four vertically stacked rooms. 
There's a long hallway that runs parallel to the rooms, but it can't be accessed at first. It's blocked by a peak geometric obstacle. I'd always assumed this was a crystal or another type of rock in the Game Boy version of the game, but the Switch version gives it a jiggling jelly-like quality when it's touched. The map is found in one of the teeth of the bit of the key. It cannot be accessed at first because a crystal switch barrier blocks the path. Players will find the stairs to reach the lower level at the top of the shaft of the large key. It's the fifth room up from the entrance. Next to the stairs is a treasure chest with a stone beak inside, but it can't be accessed because of a crystal switch barrier. On the lower level, players will find themselves in the bow or handle of the small key. There are four locked doors. Three of them are technically optional, but only returning players will know which is which. Each room contains enemies to defeat. Once each room is cleared, players are awarded another key. The rooms to the west and south can be ignored. The room to the north contains a crystal switch. Flipping it will allow players to head back to the first floor and get the stone beak and the dungeon map. Heading through the locked door on the east, players will find a set of stairs that returns them to the upper level. This time, players emerge in the bow or handle of the large key. Four blocks with keyholes surround a column in the center of the handle. Players must get through all of them to reach a staircase to the lower level and ultimately the boss. Players will need to find the dungeon item in order to access all the keys needed to reach the boss. To do that, players must defeat the mini-boss of this dungeon, a pair of Dodongo snakes. Like Dodongo from the first game, players must feed these enemies a bomb to damage them. Unlike Dodongo, they appear as a head with a large mouth and a bulbous body that somehow slithers across the floor. Each snake requires three bombs to defeat. With the bomb upgrade from the Mad Batter, they prove to be no problem, but I forgot the upgrade while playing the Switch version, which means I ran out of bombs the first time I challenged the boss. It meant I needed to round up more bombs and then try again with the fight starting completely over. To the east of the mini-boss room, players will find the dungeon item, the Pegasus Boots. As with A Link to the Past, these allow players to perform a dash attack. They'll also allow players to dash through the pointed jelly-like obstacles. With the Pegasus Boots, players can round up all the needed keys to return to the lower level of the dungeon. The transporter that appears in the mini-boss room is useful to quickly backtrack to the room with a black hole enemy. Players will also have to bomb their way through a couple of rooms to obtain keys. Once on the north side of the dungeon, a raised walkway accessed through some one-way rooms on the west side of the dungeon gives players the hints to a location of a bombable wall. Players can also hit their sword against the wall and listen for a different sound to find the bombable wall sections. Another bombable wall is marked with a large arrow design on the floor. To reach the Nightmare Key, players will have to use the Pegasus Boots with Rock's Feather to do a running leap over a couple of large holes. Once all keys are collected, it's time to open all the locked blocks in the center and descend down the stairs. They lead to a side-scrolling segment where an angry-looking crusher enemy blocks the path forward. Dashing into this enemy causes it to fall out of the way. Then it's on to the boss room. In the antechamber just before the boss, players are given an extra key. This seems to be here just in case players somehow missed a key elsewhere. The boss is called Slime Eyes. It at first taunts Link, saying that he can't find it. And sure enough, it's nowhere to be seen in the room. Slime enemies drop from the ceiling if Link doesn't locate Slime Eyes. The falling slime enemies are a hint to where the boss is hiding. In the Switch version, there's a shadow on the ground providing a further hint that the boss is hiding on the ceiling. Dashing into the wall causes Slime Eyes to fall. Then players must slash a single large eye of the enemy to cause it to split into two until a thin bit of slime is holding the two halves together. Players dash through the center of the enemy to split it into two. The two halves then begin jumping around and trying to land on Link. They each fall after a few hits, awarding a heart container. 
Link can then get the third instrument of the sirens, the Sea Lily's Bell. A mysterious voice tells Link the next goal is hidden in the waterfall. We'll take a roundabout way to get there next week. Please subscribe to follow along if you haven't already, and please consider sharing this podcast with another Zelda fan. I am Paul Riley. I'll see you next week.